0: for physicians in our own wellness, if there's so much in flight, fight, or freeze, then how are they creating a safe space so that our body can kind of get a reset? So my goal is to help my patients feel safe.
1: Welcome to the Fredrickson Health Show, highlighting expert practitioners from health, fitness, injury prevention, functional medicine, and integrative medicine. If you are into upgrading and optimizing your health, this podcast is for you. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And uh, And, now, here is your host, Dr. Robert Fredrickson.
2: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Fredrickson Health Show. Today on the show, we have my friend, my colleague that I've had the pleasure of working with for the past five years, Dr. Julie Reardon. Dr. Julie, as many of her patients call her, uh, believes in the integrated model in medicine um, she includes this to support health and the body, mind, and spirit combined. After receiving a magna cum laude degree in psychology from Harvard University, she completed her medical training at the U- University of uh, Connecticut School of Medicine. She's a fellow of the Arizona Center of Integrated Medicine, and Dr. Reardon spends a, a lot of time in functional and integrated medicine and blending the two together. Uh, she's completed multiple trainings with the Institute of Functional Medicine. Um, functional medicine views the human beings on um, beings as genetically and biochemically unique and symptoms as an alert about underlying biological issues rather than diseases themselves. Dr. Reardon used the functional medicine approach to naturally support the normal healing mechanism of the body. And I'm so excited to learn more about Dr. Reardon's practice, how she views patients and how she's evolved over the last 15 years, 20 years of practice. So so Dr. Reardon, time flies. Well, Dr. Reardon, thanks so much for coming on today.
0: Well, Robert, it is a pleasure and an honor to join you today and to just have some time to chat and get to know each other better and to hopefully share some health messages with your greater audience.
2: Yes, thank you, thank you. And and when we first got on, you were mentioning that you're in your office and you never get to sit in the patient's chair. So you're actually sitting on the patient side of your office today. So
0: I am, I have a, a, an office in which we, I do my consultations and, and exam, examine my patients, etc. So I just put my, so you don't have to look through the window with, I thought I just flip the computer around and sit in this seat and have like just a few little things on my little altar over there. And I love um, it. Just, yeah. It's good.
2: Very cool. Well, I love it. And so Dr. Wearden, tell, tell, tell us about how you got started in medicine um, why you wanted to become a doctor in the first place.
1: Ah,
0: I'm going way back. Yes. Um, you know, I actually just found, this is sort of a bizarre little story, but I had um, pen pals from around the world when I was like in middle school and high school. And I found, I kept like carbon copies of the letters to these pen pals. And I found a letter because there was a um, pen pal I had in Russia whose mother was a physician. He was actually in Siberia. And um, I found this letter and he was saying that his mother was a doctor. And I said, well, I want to be a doctor someday. What kind of medicine does your mom practice? And so I had this carbon copy of this letter. So, and probably even way before that, I had wanted to be a sort of wanted to be a doctor. Um, but then, um, did not know about family medicine until I went to medical school and then learned about family medicine, which was sort of like my first intro to sort of integrative medicine, like kind of, I want to treat all ages and be able to do a diversity of types of practice. And um, so I wanted to be a doctor early on, but then um, sort of it has evolved to then to family practice and family medicine. And then um, integrative medicine kind of didn't exist then per se, but, um, but then as it grew, and then when I was in residency, sorry, I'm jumping all ahead. Okay. But when I was in um, residency, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil's book, Eight Weeks to Optimal Health, came out. And I was very much sort of blown away with that and then learned a little bit more about integrative medicine. And then the sort of story continues. So, but it goes way back.
2: <laughs> so you've always would have been, been a doctor from your early experiences with the pen pal in Russia, and then that, that kind of led this path. Did you have any other family members that were in the health professions?
0: So I come from a family of educators. My grandparents were teachers. Actually on my father's side, my grandparents were teachers and my grandfather on my mother's side um, emigrated from Sicily and was a barber, which if you actually think of the old time barbers they were doctors too, so teachers and barbers, like kind of, when are, are healers in some way, right? They're empowering patients. So doctor means teacher. So I come from this family of, of teachers, and then the barber is where you'd come in and you'd kind of like sit in the chair, and and sort of get your health assessed, yeah. and then tell, get tell your cut and yeah. be a place of like kind of a therapist and a, um, you know, get your your health taken care of, and so. So I come from a line of both those sides. And then my mom had some health issues when I was growing up and that um, sort of, I think, prompted me to become more interested in medicine and healthcare. And so um, medicine then became a a goal of mine and um, what I do for my my calling now.
2: That's awesome. So your mom had some health issues and you were learning or wanting to learn more ways to maybe help her and maybe see some maybe saw, saw some flaws in the current medical system back then that you're like, hey, like I, I can make a difference. So I didn't know that, that's awesome.
0: Yes, yes, so it certainly impacted me. And um, if certainly your family um, uh, does shape what you end up doing and then also some of the struggles or sort of challenges you may see around you. have have made an influence on me. And so um, definitely those things did impact me. And then I also became very interested. My grandparents were a very important part of my family. I had my maternal grandmother and my paternal grandfather were still living when I was growing up and being involved with their lives and seeing what challenges they had through geriatrics and with aging. So aging became um, a really important and interesting thing for me to study. And I would sit down when we look at um, integrative medicine, but also if you've heard of narrative medicine. And in a way, I kind of did that with my grandparents. I just would let them, I wanted them to tell me stories. And I would sit down and um, have my grandfather tell me stories. And I'd give him assignments and say, teach me about this and tell me about this. And what was it like when you were a child? What what, What are some of the challenges you have? And I have actually a really special interview I had with my grandfather when I asked him about death and dying.
2: Mm. And,
0: um, when he passed away, then that became something really important for us to sort of reflect on and gave a lot of comfort to us, sort of as he had reflections because his father had died when he was four years old.
2: Oh, wow. Um,
0: So anyway, those are lots of, lots of good stories to share, but I think that stories are actually really important and being able to share them are important for our health and our healing process.
2: And I think that's why you're such a great doctor because you listen to patients' stories. And I feel like now we'll kind of jump into the functional and integrative side. So tell us about that. So let's, you know, let's kind of retract a little bit.
0: Yeah. How did you,
2: yeah, so you were in traditional family practice mm-hmm. for how many years?
0: So I practiced for 13 years in a regular family, traditional family practice model. Initially I'd started doing even obstetrics through geriatrics and I did. um, So I did the whole, the whole spectrum after I had done my training at the university of Minnesota for my residency. And then I was in the West coast and Washington state and practiced full range family practice um, for that period of time. Uh, which involved some things that were integrative, but again, it evolved to becoming more of a official integrative practice um, when I moved here to Austin in 2013. Well, we moved here in 2012 and then I started the practice in 2013.
2: That's awesome. So when you were in traditional practice and I'm guessing it was limited yeah. patient time, maybe five to 15 minutes per patient. Yeah, we would
0: see, it would be, you know, you'd know crank a lot of people in and out. So they would be sometimes- Thirty patients a day. That's a lot. Sometimes, you know, a good day was maybe maybe seventeen to twenty, and so you would see a lot of people. And what happened was, as my did my integrative medicine training and my tool belt for more and more things to offer expanded to fit that into a smaller and smaller bit, bit of time um, became hard for my own self-care and for my own ability to, to be able to offer those things to patients. So again, when we moved, I sort of pivoted the type of practice that I have.
2: Yeah. So, so you mentioned that, what were some of the flaws that you saw in the current, you know, traditional medical model that you wanted to, I know, I know in your heart, you want to help Mm -hmm. people. That's your passion or one of your Mm -hmm. passions. And what did you see that you're like, man, I wish if I could just spend more time with this patient, listen to the story better. If I could incorporate, these principles into the life that you get better out? Cause what was like that turning for say, Hey, I, I need to do something to help patients. And what, what made you decide to do that when you moved to Austin?
0: Uh, well, I guess it was more and more expanding that, that tool belt and we could get into sort of, and I don't really wanna get into the negativity of the, the sure. system, but in a way, um, the system was looking at a disease model, right? So the disease model is looking for what's wrong And for just sort of giving a pill for every ill. And then it became kind of more just not sort of putting out fires instead of getting into root cause. And we both know that functional medicine and integrative medicine help uh, look at the root cause and empower patients to, to heal versus just kind of keeping them on the cycle. Of staying, staying sick almost, right? right, and then adding more polypharmacy to to our problems, or and then not getting at the root cause. So I'd say that the the system is that it's just overwhelmed, and it becomes a um, model of sort of disease management instead of um, healing, health and healing. Right. And So I-, I wanted to get out of that that role kind of going, you know, being in disease management.
2: Yeah. I mean, all doctors get into to healthcare to help people. And then sometimes the system yes. at their end are just moral, which you said, putting out fires and just trying to, you know, get every single person in and out and, you know, do what they're supposed to do, but also do the notes, get, get home. And so you, and I'm asking this question because you're kind of a pioneer in, in my opinion, in this field, because <laughs> you started functional integrated medicine, you know, before it was, Sexy before it is what it is now, everyone's talking about it now. But you were doing this in early 2012, so who are some of your early influences in functional medicine, integrated medicine? I know you mentioned Dr. Wheel, was there any others that you're following back then? Was IFM even the thing back then?
0: So I think IFM was started by Jeff Bland around that same time, I think, and they and so there were different camps, I'd say in the initial early stages. And I ended up becoming more in the integrative medicine camp and then done the integrative medicine fellowship through the University of Arizona with Dr. Weil. And then I think simultaneously, some of my colleagues were starting to do more of the IFM training. I, again, back till 20 and finishing in 2011 with the integrative medicine fellowship that I did, I felt like it was going home, Robert. It was like going home to being with other physicians that I'm like, Oh, this is why I'm doing this practice. And it was also some, one of my other passions has been physician wellness and practitioners taking care of themselves because what are we hypocrites if we're like, we're, we're um, eating donuts and drinking a lot of diet Coke or having a lot of ramen noodles or all these things that, like I've seen through my training and that we have, and we're, and we're stressed to this certain level. So we're telling our patients to eat right and exercise and to de- manage their stress. And then they're seeing 30 patients a day and just so stress themselves. I'm like, what, there's some kind of not disconnect. And so doing the integrative medicine training kind of allowed me to sit back and go, oh, this is what we're kind of tap into the roots of what I really wanted to do with health and healing. So back to that. So then I did the integrative medicine training and then when I moved to Austin. I learned more about the functional medicine. And for me, that just dovetailed in beautifully because it gave some of the uh, my the the biochemical kind of backup that sort of merged the medical and allopathic training with the, with sort of some of the ancient wisdom that I have, and that we tapped into more in the integrative medicine. And so it's all looking at sort of health and wellness, looking at our diet, looking at our sleep, looking at our, our, um, interactions with other people and, um, being able to sort of wet sort of look at that and then see what is going um awry maybe at the root cause of some of these issues. So it's just been it's been a journey, but it started for me more with integrative medicine, but that was happening simultaneously with a lot of the pioneers in functional medicine. And now everything's just on fire. Like everybody's it's on fire together. I think everybody wants um wants to sort of sit back and see like kind of look at the root cause and then um I'd say that we have to be cautious, though, because I think it sometimes we're looking still, even in functional medicine, there's a danger of looking for, instead of a pill for every ill that comes from the pharmacy, we're like, okay, no pharmaceuticals, no pharmaceuticals, but then we're going to do a nutraceutical of pill for every ill. We want to fix it. We want to fix it instead of look at a system-based approach. And um, that's one of the things I'd say I love about the functional medicine approach, looking and using systems biology as a inspiration for that and looking at the multifactorial levels, again, looking at like what's happening on a societal level, what's happening on a cultural level, what's happening in big pharma, big, um, big on the farm in the farms and what's happening with Roundup and what's happening um, politically, because that also impacts our health.
2: It does. It does. And there's not just, I mean, there's, we all want to get to the root cause, but I think there's root causes. Like you mentioned, there's just so many different things that influence each other and systems biology approach. And what I want to talk to, you know, I, I know there's so many different tools in functional medicine. There's, mm-hmm. there's functional lab testing, there's nutrigenomics, there's genetic testing, but what you do is, I don't know if it's different, but I, I know that you really put an emphasis on community with your patients and you really kind of tap into their mind, body, soul, How do you do that with your patients? How do you get them to connect with themselves um, on a deeper level to really get to that root cause like you mentioned earlier?
0: So I guess I'd say that you mentioned sort of my calling to be a physician and I'd say my calling to be a healer is to empower the healer within each individual that it's about being able to tap into this this natural bias, I think that it's not something that's wrong with us. There's, there's a lot of things that are right with us. And so maybe our, our biochemistry has gone off track, or there's been things, there's been previous trauma, there's been previous um, insults to our body that have made us go in a certain direction, or there may be genomics that tend to put us in survival in a certain pattern but there's still so much innate wisdom within our own bodies. So my goal with any patient is to sort of awaken that again and help people believe that about themselves and about their health again, and get that back on track. And then there's so many tools that are going to be different for each person that are going to help them get there. Um, Whether that be looking at their genomics, whether that in sort of understanding certain things about their, their, their genetic makeup that maybe they're through even epigenetics and through generations, their body has evolved to be in a survival way in one way, but how do we, if something's maybe out of balance, how do we get that back in, in track on track for them? Um, or a lot of times all my patients get a prescription for some sort of um, self care or Sometimes we call it meditation. Some people are like, oh, meditation, I can't do that. So I'm like, oh, okay, how do we calm your nervous system down? How do we balance this sympathetic flight, fight, or freeze with rest and digest? Because our culture is like in so much flight, fight, or freeze. And that's where the, the, I would say the, the um, conflict I had with sort of allopathic medicine or regular medicine is that for physicians in our own wellness, if there's so much in flight, fight or freeze, then how are they creating a safe space so that our body can kind of get a reset? So my goal is to help my patients feel safe.
2: That's great. I love that. And do you start that first visit? Is that something you incorporate throughout the care of the patient? What is, um, if, if, yeah, it's- so how
0: does it work when people see me? Yes. Um, So the first visit we, I have like either hour or two hour long visits. Um, And I kind of, I would prefer the longer appointment, but some patients, again, the the reality of that is we sort of get started sometimes with shorter appointments, which is ironic that an hour is a shorter appointment, but it's in the tradition of functional medicine, it's their narrative story. So a lot that we listen to every patient gives me their story. We listen to their what's happened to them um, and what, how do they see it? How are they perceiving what's happened to them? And then what data do they all have? So it's reviewing all those things, but then everybody gets a prescription at the end that is a lifestyle prescription that addresses what they're eating, what they're doing for exercise, what they're doing for um, their sleep, uh, what they're doing for their self-care Um, And then what other testing may be indicated or review of those testing. And then what other things do we need to shift within that, that process? So I don't know if you saw on my website in my little ebook that I've written. I don't know if you saw the ebook. Uh, I did. But I have um, an ebook and it's um, live it. And so everybody kind of gets that live it prescription and the live it acronym stands for learn, incorporate, vitalize exercise, imagine, thank. And so it's, a, a, that's sort of a theme potentially with probably all of my patients and they get the live it prescription at the end of each appointment.
2: I love that. We're gonna put a link in the description for anyone listening to check out live it. Um, and you live it, you live the lifestyle. You know, you do, well, I know we're all busy, but you really strive <laughs> to, to have a balance in your life, in your career, in your family, in your health and wellness journey. Um, I've been to your office and you're doing walks with the doctor you're you're incorporating this into your daily practice which I think is amazing and so going to the more the functional medicine and what you do in your practice just kind of asking you I guess more of the more the technical side is um, when did you start using um, genetic testing in your practice and how has that kind of evolved throughout the years um, as you've been in practice
0: yeah. Well, it's just evolved a lot over the last few years and the tools have just become ex- exponentially better. Um, but if we even go back to the pharmacology I'd have with looking at some genetic and genomic work that you would, we would do in our regular medicine. And then the leap came probably um, when I started to learn more about pharmacogenomics, which is how our body um, metabolizes medications. And so there were several tools that I was introduced to probably early on you know, or after I started the practice here in Austin using pharmacogenomic testing. And then you probably hear about the MTHFR. Every, a lot of people have heard about the methotetrahydrofolate reductase gene and people were sitting right in this chair, probably across at the desk for me going, Dr. Julie, do I have the mother F gene? (laughs) And they're all worried because it's a very famous gene um, that is used in functional medicine, but it's so much more diverse than that. But that is um, probably where I got into it, looking at the MTHFR gene, as well as some of the APOE, the APOE gene that can be related to um, lipid metabolism, as well as um, Alzheimer's risk and some of the cytochrome P450 genes, which is other types of genes that have to do how we metabolize medication. And this all goes to why was I drawn to this anyway? In, in integrative and functional medicine, we'll see the canaries and the coal mine, meaning, people who are like, hey, I'm on the bell curve, but like, um, and we're all different and on the bell curve in different ways at different times, but often we'll see that people are on the bell curve different if they're like, they're like, I'm so sensitive to medication, anything I ever take, I'm all sensitive to, or I'm not. And being able to understand that with the pharmacogenomics was very interesting to me. So that's how I got into sort of the genetic testing. And then um, we have gotten into nutrigenomics that also helps us understand a lot of these single nucleotide polymorphisms, or genes, gene variants that affect um, kind of how our how our recipe is read, sort of within how our body takes in different vitamins and or medications and or things in the environment. And so, I've been studying that, and I've gotten into some amazing tools that help me in my practice with patients for that. So. Trying that's to awesome. keep it. I'm not keeping anything very short, but trying to be no, able that, to that's, give that's, people and your audience an idea of what
2: I do. That's perfect. And so I know genetic is, is a part of your practice. Is that, do you, Does every patient come in with genetic testing? Um, is that one of the things that you look for every time? Or I know it's individualized, but is that one yeah, of the things? Yeah.
0: That- so I, I would not say that all my patients do the gen- genomic testing. And I try to be responsible for my patients with like, how much information do we have and how do we use the information we Um, we gather and then also certain people want more information. Some people are like, map my whole genome, do this test. Let's spend as much money as we can. I want all the information. And other people are like, Hey, I'm on a budget. Like I'm on a very tight budget. What do I want to do? And then we try to decide what's important within their story of what's necessary. But the beauty is, is that I've been studying this for so long. I can see those patterns and I can understand some of the things. Now, I can't like look in a crystal ball and just listen to your history and know exactly what's happening genetically. But there are some patterns that we can see that that there are things that we can do without necessarily getting all the genomic testing. But that certainly complements it and can help us help inform us on our journey of working together. So uh, the many types of like, this is the rabbit hole you can get in with functional medicine. And the thing that can give functional medicine a bad rap is that you can spend lots and lots of money on lots and lots of labs. And what are we doing with it? And does that make sense? And so that's where it really makes sense to personalize it um, and use the data appropriately for what this person's challenges are. Because again, the goal is to help empower them on their health journey to, to really rely on and trust the healer within themselves and how to be able to be as healthy as they can be.
2: You hit the nail on the head. Now that's exactly what I was looking for is because in in functional medicine, sometimes we hear, Oh my gosh, you're going to go into this doctor's office. They're going to test you on 30 different things. You're going to walk out with 50 different supplements and Mm it's going to cost a lot of money. And you might not get the results that you want. A lot of people do, but, um, what you find is what you do is very personalized, very individualized, and it's not everyone's going to be doing a genetic test. Maybe they do based on what you think is going to help empower them to heal better. Um, and also I, I just want to dovetail into diets and, mm. all, and that's the same thing. We hear about all these different diets, the carnivore diet, the vegan diet, this diet, that diet. And as genetics helped you kind of um, play, helped you make a better game plan for diets with your patients. I, you know if somebody has APOE44, for example, maybe you switch a diet type for them. Has that helped you at all in your dietary recommendation? Or do you, do you have a general diet recommendation that you like to recommend to patients? How does that work? So in
0: I think that's where the live it came from instead of diet so that it doesn't have, like, I have to do this temporarily for a short period of time, but what am I doing for my life? What am I doing kind of to help um, overall? And, and then I go back to that part of what got me interested in the integrative medicine at first was I would start to go, there were nutrition and health courses given by um, the Arizona center for integrative medicine. And that's what got me into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, nutrition and health have so much to do with our health. And I went to medical school and I went to Harvard and I have all this background and oh my gosh, they are not teaching nutrition. And you know what, even just in the last few months talking to people who are in medical students now, they're not getting enough adequate nutritional um, education. And, and our, those are our building blocks. Those are the things that affect our microbiome. Those are the things that turn our system on and off. And we need to understand more of what, how genetics, it's not just genetics, how our diet affects things. Now, genetics is important, but I can't say, and there are tools out there that are like, do this genetic test and you're not going to know exactly what you need to eat or not. I go back to Michael Pollan somewhere who says, eat food, not too much, mostly vegetables. <laughs> yeah. um, but then there are certain people who are going to benefit more from a high, um, from like more of a, a pegan diet, you know, to, to kind of look at Mark Hyman's kind of the, mm-hmm. the pescatarian plus vegan and th- that side. And, and more higher protein levels. And then other patients are going to be much better off with a lower protein diet. And so it really, it, it's so individualized, but I, and the genetics do play a piece in that, but I can't say I plug and play when I see a certain genetic thing that, that you need to be on this certain diet. It's like looking at the whole picture. It's looking at what's, what's somebody realistically going to do today, um, so I think it's a it's a combination of pieces. But what I do encourage people to do is sort of that basic med- Mediterranean diet um, for all, for a lot of people. And then the functional medicine world gives us a lot of tools as to what kind of how to how to dial into what are the what are the best ways to go about eating eating a healthy a healthy diet, helping change and, and address what goes into the microbiome. Uh, but I think that Um, we also want to be careful about orthorexia. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but it can be that instead of like being so careful and so defined about what we're eating, that we're, we're not giving a variety to it and that it's a fear-based process instead of a nourishment process, going back to relying on this innate wisdom within our bodies. And what I tell people is, is the closer to nature this is eat it if it's processed and it's got a long shelf life and has a lot of other chemicals or other things in it, that's not as close to nature. You don't want to eat it. Right. Right. And, and that's sort of the basic level, but then there'll be lots of, I'll have patients go, well, what do you think about all this lectin stuff? Right? Like, so, but that's not for every person, but there are certain people who have a um, we use the term molecular mimicry or a certain I, things that we can put into our bodies that trigger the immune system in a certain way. And they may be somebody who is not supposed to be on lectins. Um, and so that's very, um, that's one of the things that like, it's not a be all end all for everybody.
2: And is and that then- sort. Go ahead. Is, is that sort of, okay? Is that sort of the same thing for gluten too? I, I know so, some people can't tolerate gluten at all. Some people have molecular mimicry, like in Hashimoto's. But what are your thoughts on gluten? I know right,
0: that. right, and that's probably a whole other kind of episode that we could we could record on on gluten. But I'd say that's true, and that is where genetics can make a difference for me. If I see some people who have a certain genetic pattern that is going to put them at higher risk. But then we also can use other lab data that can show antibodies and elevation of the immune system. And then also if patients do have some sort of autoimmune process, I often tell them that they're best without the gluten. And it may be that it's not wheat or it's not the gluten protein. It could be that it's the chemicals that are used in the production of gluten in, in, in the foods that they plate with the, those those foods are and how they're prepared and how they're processed. And that can affect the um, permeability of the gut and the um, communication with the immune system. And so someone who has an autoimmune process going on, very often we will, um, and most of the time, I'm gonna ask them to, to stay away from gluten products. At least for a three month period and potentially for long term.
2: So, if someone did a three month protocol, for example, and they got into bed, got way better. Maybe they went to remission. Could they maybe start to introduce gluten back into their diets? If it didn't-
0: it's so personalized and it depends on the, their gut health and potentially what, you know, if they have celiac disease, certainly not. Sure, Right. But if they have some other immune processes and if they have some other potential gut protection, then maybe they don't have to be so fear-based all the time about anything potentially that could trigger it. But then some other people They, their, their immune system is is such that, that even if they get some contamination that they're probably better off without it. So again, it's, where are you on the bell curve and how do we personalize it to
2: you? Exactly. And I I like how you mentioned it might not just be the gluten. It might be everything, how it's processed, sprayed, because you hear about people all the time who go to Italy or they go overseas and they eat gluten and they feel fine. You know, like, but when I eat it over here in America, you know, I feel bloated, gassy, whatever. And they just feel completely different in different parts of the world. Have you, have you seen that at all in your practice?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And again, which part of it is that it's really how it's prepared and there's not glyphosate and then what we're do- they're doing in Europe is so much better than how we have our our gluten processed here. And it is it also that people are relaxed and they're happy and mm-hmm. they're enjoying vacation and they're in a different immune communication within their whole system. So, but I also, I, I certainly have seen that anecdotally. Um, And so that's kind of an interesting thing and how can, and are we able to tolerate, like, can you, where can you tolerate things? So, <laughs> yeah. And then also there's also the type, but there is something about how the gluten is processed. And there are some people who may not have the genetic issues, but it's, again, they have other um there was the leaky gut and other things. So if that gets all corrected and they don't have a genetic um, messaging so that they're going to get that kind of reaction to gluten, then maybe when they go to Europe, yeah, like they can can tolerate more. And you're aware of like different enzymes that people can use also that may, if they are going to have some cross kind of contamination or there is a different sort of situation that sometimes can help.
2: Yes. But I, I love what you mentioned. So yes, that, that's all, all that place. but maybe you're on vacation and you're sitting down for a two hour meal and over here in America, we're sitting down to a 10 minute rushed meal. And so just that's going to have a huge impact on your rest and digest your parasympathetic mode, just like you mentioned. So so many different things playing. Right, play And I think that,
0: that that's that part about, you know, yeah, you're like, if you're chewing your food more, then you're like allowing your own digestive enzymes to be a lot better. And like, I, you know, this is where like, who's eating in a rush. at like, you know, at their lunchtime or driving the car while they're drinking their coffee and, you know, eating whatever to go or, or they're doing intermittent fasting. We can talk about intermittent fasting for a moment. Everybody's intermittent fasting. So they're skipping breakfast, skipping breakfast, then they're eating lunch at one o'clock and they're starving and they're eating whatever they can all rushed instead of taking time to listen to their bodies and
2: nurture themselves. Such a great point. What what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting?
0: So there's some really interesting data out there on intermittent fasting and that giving ourselves the time to not eat. And um, again, is it stressing sort of the sympathetic nervous system? So then the the contrast, um, is it allowing our body is sort of uh, everything to relax? and then being able to um, then start eating again. So I would say that intermittent fasting, I'm very um, impressed with the, the diet, like the, the, the recommendations on that. I would prefer people do the intermittent fasting by like not eating at night and watching kind of watching their late night eating And then, um, maybe, uh, and every, again, everybody's going to personalize and be different, but what I see people do is like, Hey, intermittent fast, I skip breakfast. And I'm like, well, that may or may not be the right thing for your body. And then also the interesting research on the, on just fasting in general, and like the fasting mimicking diet, I am sure like that has also become more popular over the last few years. And the research has exploded on, um, being able to to trigger the immune system by what either you're putting in your system or you're not. And then our whole, then the immune system, the digestive system, the nervous system, all communicate with each other.
2: That's yeah. That's so amazing. I was just at a conference this past weekend. They were actually talking about intermittent fasting how it's, you know, very, very popular and how some people do it to extreme. They mm-hmm. go into these extreme narrow eating windows and it's actually, it actually can be ischemic. You can actually starve some, nutrients to to vital organ systems in the body and they said hey like we we should do exactly what you said we should not eat at night there's a lot of studies on chronobiology you know circadian rhythms and feedings Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing and eating at night is one of the biggest things that they found is hey if we can just avoid eating you know past whatever seven o'clock and just go to more of this 12 and 12 eating um, rhythm you know just basically feeding schedule it's not eating really late having breakfast in the morning and you know just having a good balanced uh, meal throughout the day they found that was actually more beneficial long-term than really doing this really restrictive diet. They, they but they did mention prolon. The five day fast was amazing mm-hmm. for stem cell production, resetting various you know metabolic pathways. But um, I feel like, yeah, you're hit the nail on the head again. So.
0: So, and, and I wonder if at your recent conference, I also talked about, I tell my patients sometimes, instead of like doing that this all the time, maybe what you want to do is one day a week, skip dinner, and then eat your breakfast, skip breakfast. And like, so like on Wednesday, I'm going to stop. I'm going to eat a nice lunch, but then I'm not going to eat dinner. And then I won't eat until Thursday at lunchtime, one day a week, because that, that kind of shifting, what you're basically doing is you're signaling to your body, Hey, we're doing something different here. Wake up, be different, like kind of reset. And there's this concept called autophagy, which is like, you know, your inner vacuum cleaner of like kind of how to, how to, clean up after yourself, how to, how to let your body rest and let your cells kind of heal themselves. And that even the, the, the contrast of being able to, to stress yourself, but in a, a, um, a contained safe way, because that also then stretches our, nervous system, right? It's that balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And so it's sort of like everybody doing their cold, hot, cold plunges or whatever, right? Like how can we induce this ability so that we can let our body know that it's safe, even with what we're eating and when we're not eating. So I think that those are interesting, interesting ways to do it, whether it be with our breath work, everybody's looking at Wim Hof breathing, doing the, the, the breathing work, tr- communicating with our nervous system, whether it be with how we eat, whether it be our hot, cold plunges with all these things that are on fire in the wellness world, have ancient wisdom to them. So we just approach it with common sense, but then just don't like do it so extreme that then you're not. Letting the the wisdom of our our in, our innate wisdom in our own bodies then correct itself.
2: Yes, and, and another concept they mentioned, and I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And just that, just that concept of metabolic reserve is how many healthy inputs can we put into our bodies so that if we do encounter a toxin or a bad meal or you know something on later on, like we're able to withstand that and be resilient. And so, because sometimes in this profession we get very neurotic, we get very hyper focused on being healthy, healthy, healthy. Going to a restaurant, what kind of oil did you cook this meal in? I brought my own olive oil just in case. Like, you know, that's that's a stressor. And so I think we should be able to enjoy meals every once in a while. If we put all of our, you know, of our our healthy signaling into our lives, we exercise, you know, we sleep, we have stress levels manage managed that we could withstand a French fry if we had to. You know, we could do those things that wouldn't necessarily cause harm. We could have a ice cream with our kids, you know, for that rare occasion or donuts with dad. Or something like that because we've done everything healthy before then but obviously if you have a disease it's right. different but but um, that
0: is that is this this slippery slope that you can get on the more you learn about functional and integrative medicine right and it's it's like it's like on fire to the thing that happens when you go to medical school so like in medical school i'm sure like when you're in chiropractic like you get every disease you study right Like you're like, oh my gosh, I have this, or oh my goodness, like you kind of like try on everything, right? Well, then you go to the integrative and functional world, and then you're like, oh my gosh, there's mold everywhere, or (laughs) oh, like is there, like everybody has Lyme disease, or everybody has the mother f gene, right? Like so, like how do we then go? Wait a minute, let's put common sense into it, and take it out of that mode, use the tools of this knowledge and this science that we have, but not go so extreme that we're then afraid of everything.
2: Right. This
0: is, the, this is the dance. And this is the part that's hard. I think that's why it's helpful to have an integrative functional medicine cop, um, practitioner sort of pairing with you to be a sounding board for you because when we start to learn about this in the their general population, cause it's everywhere. Look at, I mean, you can get everything off the internet now. We everything. used to not have that. Right. I can't believe how old I am that I did not have a computer when I grew up. Right. And so like, it's like, you have all these resources and then, but how do you navigate it and not then worry that you have everything wrong with you? Um, so, but then there's a balancing thing. Cause you don't want to then say, Oh, well I can eat, you know, donuts all the time it, but like, where do, you, where do you live it? Where do you live it?
2: I love it. Yeah. Again, that's so true. And I, I feel like some people get so scared that they don't want to leave the house. They're scared of EMFs. They're scared of toxins. They're scared of uh, breathing gasoline fumes when they're filling up their cars. Like, so we have to get to a, a state of balance, really. I, I think a lot of people in this world just get hyper-focused and can't get off the train. Even,
0: and that being said, I think I have to find a voice for the patients I do see that they are fearful because they feel like crap and they have gotten to assist what there are things that have happened that make it so they are hypersensitized. They are in this place and to no fault of their own, that their nervous system or their immune system or whatever, that they are hypersensitized. So it's not that we're blaming them. We're just saying, okay, what do we do to re what, how do we use the tools in all the different directions to get you back on track and not just substitute that, okay, it's not the, the pill or the medicine that's going to do it, but just a, the supplement that's going to do it. Cause that's not working for you either. It has to be something that addresses things, mind, body, spirit and empowers things to reset within your system. So it's not, I don't know if I'm making sense with that, but I think that it's easy, like we can go and we can talk about mast cell activation and people who, again, their immune system is all out of balance. These are real things. These are things that are happening to patients, which is why I love what we have studied and we can get in functional medicine to reset it. But we, we have to know that it's that, that's multifactorial. Um, And, but, and not blame people. It's not, it's about empowering them.
2: Empowering. Yes. Love it. So in your, in your live it principles, you know, what do you do on your own? Um, daily practice oh. for wellness, and how do you incorporate? Because I know you have two two older boys now. They used to be young, but mm-hmm. um, now they're now <laughs> they up fast. Yes, now they're in nineteen
0: college. and twenty two. Wow. Yeah. And
2: so as they transition from high school to college, what are some daily practices that you try to instill in them that they can take on with them for life? But also, what do you do in your daily life as well?
0: Yeah, and I think that's another whole thing about parenting, and a lot the other thing about whether you. Um, you know, my, my poor boys have, have had mom bring home lots of different supplements (laughs) and lots of different things. My husband's been very flexible with me trying all sorts of different modalities (laughs) and, oh, try this. And so being very open to that, but then also being kind of letting everybody be on their journey, because if you are, if it's forced down your throat, like I, you know, then you're going to be like, or then they may not be, um, is, is willing to make those changes um, in their adult life, or they're going to go through also developmental processes where they're going to explore and try other things. So I would say that for myself and how I live it, um, I really think that one of the most important things is grounding my own nervous system daily. Being And, and that's why having an integrated medicine practice helps remind me of that, because I share that wisdom with patients every day. So having some sort of... Um, so for me, having a daily meditation practice and making myself sit and reset my nervous system and breathe and do meditation. And then for sometimes when it's really jacked up, I also use this alpha stim, which is a device that is cranial electrostimulation stimulation that can help sort of dial down my nervous system at times if for some reason I'm having trouble doing it myself. Now I haven't used it in a while because life has been pretty good lately. Um, But sort of maybe at the beginning of the pandemic with a lot of the stuff that was going on, there have been some moments that I, that combined with other things going on in life that's found very helpful. So being able to um, practice that daily reset and then also being mindful of, of eating, right? Like, as we said, trying to be healthier about eating. I look back at my, you know, I mentioned like my medical school diet was, um, I guess spaghetti and peas because it was cheap
2: Sure, right. <laughs> and it was there. Right.
0: <laughs> and so, um, and then it's, so being able to have a healthier, healthier eating, eating a lot more vegetables and being able to plan ahead. And it is, I'll be honest with you. It's still a challenge. If you work all day, how am I going to have healthy, like how are we going to prepare food at night, but being able to have a better plan so that we um, have healthy, healthy meals planned ahead. And then being creative um, in that process, using resources, asking for help. Um, if I, and so, um, I'm, it's still, it's still a journey. It's being able to do it. And like, even today, the way I'm scheduled, like kind of out, I'm like, oh boy, I've got this meeting right after you and I are meeting. When am I going to eat lunch? How am I going to eat lunch and not be on the run? Where am I going to be able to make sure I have some time to rest and digest? So it's just being mindful of those, of those practices and then making sure I exercise. But I'll tell you one of the things that I've done that has probably been one of the best things for my health is I got a dog several years ago and having my dear dog and taking her for a walk every day, being outside, being in nature, being with this animal who is just got, I mean, there's just such wisdom sometimes in the, in the natural kingdom. And that has, um, that has been really great for my health as well. Um, walking my dog and being able to be present with her. Um, so those are, those are just some things. And then, um, the I'll go back to my livid acronym of my the vitalized part, and the vitalizes is being out in the sunshine, being able to, and then again, what supplements maybe would I take? And am I, I love it when my patients are honest with me about they don't t- like, <laughs> like you have a lot of things you can take, but what do I take regularly? And it kind of comes in ebbs and flows. I try to work with my vitamin D, I try to take my multivitamin, try to take some methylation support, and um. And then depending on what's happening with my gut, I might take some, some gut support as well. Some immune globulin for my, for my, for go. my <laughs> gut at times. I just, I just got my, uh, my colonoscopy, I had my first screening colonoscopy and that just, you know, that kind of like was very mindful about rebuilding my gut a little bit after that process so that um, I was taking care of myself.
2: To- well. Thank you for sharing all that. And so is, is meditation part of, you know, a lot of people talk about morning routines. Is meditation a part of your morning routine? Or is that something that you do during the day? The goal the day? is
0: twice a day for twice me. A day. Wow. The goal is twice a day. I will say that I probably more realistically get it in once a day. But the goal is every morning and every evening.
2: Wow. How, how long do you typically meditate for? So the goal for me <laughs>
0: is 20 minutes twice a day. Um, but again, I'll see, I'll be lucky if I get, uh, get 20 minutes in a day
2: and And then,
0: but I'm realistic again, same with like diet. I can't be perfect. We're going to stop it. Like, you know what? I'll be with my kids or we're going to be on the road and we're not going to be eating the the most perfect food all the time. And I'm not going to get my 20 minutes in all the time. But you know what? Even if I just pause and do breath and mindful before I eat. Or if I can just, I get a a meditation app on and I just, or I just use my timer and I put it on for five minutes. Like I don't have time for the whole thing. So I'm going to just sit and do five minutes and that's okay. Sit in my car before I come into the office and be able to just kind of get myself in, get my nervous system sort of back in line.
2: That was the question I was just about to ask is what would you recommend for people, for you or for patients who can't carve out 20 minutes of meditation, but you just said it's being mindful. Taking time for yourself. Is there anything else that you would suggest?
0: Yeah, I think you know, do something, hook it to something you already do. You brush your teeth. Are you gonna always brush your teeth? Great. Have it then, like kind of have it that I'm gonna stop and take a couple of breaths then. Or you're gonna always eat a meal, right? So how about before every meal? I'm just grateful for this meal. And I do a four, seven, eight breath. Do you know kind of doing an exercise just to be mindful of that before? So hook it to something you already do and see if you can create a habit around it, because then it's teaching your body that you can rely on that. And then don't be so mad and mean and shameful on yourself. If you don't do it, just get back on and try again. Tomorrow's a new
2: day. That's right. That's right. So for morning routine, do you have a certain wellness practice or optimal morning that you like to like to do? I know every morning is different, especially with kids, but is there Practice well, unfortunately, can.
0: my kids are older, so we don't have to have that. You have that. Like, it's very different now. I have total chaos, I have total chaos so, yes. But my morning routine is different because of my dog, because when I wake up and then she starts barking. So it's usually wake up and take her for a walk first. Um, although now if we're waking up before it's, and it's still dark, um, then it can be some meditation first and then take her take her for her walk. So it depends on the light and the, and the the and the dog. And then being able to kind of, kind of in routine of when I have to be at the office and being able to then sit down and I do have a cup of coffee um, or some tea, depending on the day. Um, And I do eat breakfast. So trying to be mindful of of being able to be in rest and digest for the, that time period.
2: That's great. So So for sleep, we know how important sleep is.
0: Oh, we asked, we didn't get into that. We haven't talked about that at
2: all. And what, you know, for people who, what do you recommend for people to have optimal sleep hygiene? And what do you do yourself before you go to bed to have optimal sleep? Is there any use?
0: So having a routine is very important. I think the meditation, actually my meditation sometimes will be after I get home from work before I eat dinner to kind of reset then. Um, so, but having some sort of nighttime routine is very important. What I have found is that everybody is way into like um, measuring their sleep. And so like, which is good. You want to kind of see what you're asleep, but then they're hyper. They're looking at all the data about their sleep instead of just resting and sleeping and knowing that we go through ebb and flows and being like kind of understanding for ourselves and just allowing yourself to, to rest, but making sure that there's not a lot of screen time right before bed. I think having like, you know, doing some quiet, some reading, doing uh, any kind of, um, uh, people do like a a meditation or a prayer or a journal writing or something like that. I my, my nighttime routine, I am blessed because I sleep very fairly well, um, for the most part. So it's more that I finally just like kind of get myself ready for bed, brush my teeth. And then I hit the pillow and, and then, um, I'm out.
1: (laughs) Not too long
0: after that. So, um, uh, but everybody, but there are times that that's not true. There's times that I'm worried about things. There's times that I'm like, kind of, there's other stuff going on. And then it's just giving myself space to know that that's, that's where I'm at right now. And then just, and and then I need, it's my body saying, I need a little bit more TLC for myself and probably a little bit more med- meditation time.
2: That's great. Yeah. So many people have trouble sleeping and I, and I get hyper-focused on my aura ring too. I check it. I'm, I'm guilty. Yeah. I will check it first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, I will check. How did I sleep? Like I, like I can't tell for myself, I, I, need, I need to check
0: Right, isn't that interesting? Like, how do you feel rested? How do you feel in the morning? Like, right, are, what? why are we looking at the data? I think that's just an interesting piece about everything, right? We can do that about how we're eating. What are your labs show? Like I had a patient the other day who definitely has a lot of lab abnormalities that we're dealing with because he hasn't seen me for a long time. But I'm like, but you feel great. Okay, let's start. You feel great. You're doing well so let's not like think you're going to die tomorrow. Let's, let's deal with what your cholesterol is. Let's deal with what you're doing within your, your lifestyle right now, get back on, but then don't like kind of let's, let's not just, it's not the labs are helpers for that. Right. Or how you're feeling is a helper to help you wake up to that. So we should use the data in ways that are constructive, not shameful and destructive.
2: Yes. Start with the positive. What are you doing? Well, what are you, how are you feeling? That's good. I love that you do that. And that's such a great reminder. So, so I want to kind of wrap up towards the end. Mm -hmm. I want to ask, I just, I just thought of this question. And so I just want to ask you real quick. um, If you could make any changes or if you could see your practice evolving over the next Mm -hmm. five, 10 years, what changes would you want to see? What changes would you not want to see? What what would you want to keep the same? And, how do you see your practice evolving in five, 10 years?
0: Yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked that. That's very challenging and good for me. Because um, yeah, I'm I'm starting to get busier. Whatever. Like I want to be able to like balance this for myself and you want to and I wanna be able to help people. And I feel like I've gathered a lot of wisdom and knowledge over the over over the long time that I've been doing this. And so actually the thing I have going on this afternoon after I'm talking with you is are an alpha um, healing circle group. So I've talked to you about doing group visits for a long time. And I just really do think there is power in community. There is power in connection. So somehow I see in the future being able to get small groups of safe containers of people together so that we can um, give them the integrative wisdom, have guidance of an integrative practitioner who can, who can work with them that can help give them that that's some individualized care at times, but that there is a, there is a healing container for them to, um, to be able to feel better. So I would say that in my, I would love to see myself over the next, the next part of my career figuring out how to do that for, um, because I think that you get the power in numbers, you get a more exponential, right? To be able to help people. Um, but then I think you can, you can touch more people with wisdom or what you're trying to do, even with your podcast, right? Like whoever, how many different people are listening to this, the more people who hear and then tell somebody else it's again, it's a, it's, it's exponential in, in using the technologies, whether it be our aura ring, whether it be our lab testing, or whether it be social media in a way that empowers. So that's somewhere where I'd like to see it going, and I'm not sure where the universe will evolve it.
2: That's awesome. So doing more group visits or more community um, into your practice is where you kind of see it going. That's yeah. We've been talking about that for a long time. And I, think I know,
0: I know, I think COVID, it's still COVID out happened. there. COVID, COVID happened,
2: and that and that kind of shut down a lot of those plans for but a lot of people. But it also
0: accentuated why it's so essential. That is, it's so
2: important. Yes, yeah. so important. I, I can't wait to watch your practice grow and evolve with the community aspect. So so. if we could, um, I know time's coming up, so if we could reverse roles and, um, Mm -hmm. you could ask questions to yourself, what questions would you have Mm -hmm. asked that maybe we didn't touch on today?
0: Oh, you know, I, um, nothing's coming to me. I think that you did a great job interviewing me. And I think, um, there's lots of different directions. I think I could have um, shared with you more of that tool belt of all the other different modalities of some other unique things that I am able to offer in my practice. Um, but some of that's on my website, and um, uh, I guess I would just make sure I tell people until the until the end of the year, I do have some guided imagery that's for free on my website under patient resources. And so if they're like even like a five minute one, if they want to check that out, I think that's that's very that's, that's a good resource to tell people about. Um, and then just the healing power of, of, of energy, I guess the other thing I've started to play in within my practice is photobiomodulation. So I would have, um, I wanted to make sure people hear about that because it's an interesting other modality and there's information on my website about that.
2: And what is your website for everyone listening?
0: Blake Travis Awesome. Um,
2: and we'll put a, we'll put a link for that in the show notes. So everyone can check that out. Right. And also, something we didn't mention, I just thought of this too, is um, you used to ha- be certified in acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And so, and I really feel that that kind of goes back to everything you talk about with your, you know, getting back to your roots, getting back to ancient wisdom. And, and I know you don't practice as much for, for time, but that's cool that you have that background of being an acupuncturist.
0: Well, and I think that the looking at Chinese medicine and how they looked at the body in systems in that kind of um, conceptual way, and how energy flows in the body, back to like why I think vital pho- the photobiomodulation is so powerful, but all but all different aspects of it, I think it's so fascinating. And yeah, the background I've had in the acupuncture has been very helpful.
2: Awesome. Okay, so here's some fun questions uh, okay. for you, Doctor Reardon rapid fire no just kidding so if you (laughs) could put a billboard up maybe it's austin maybe it's in washington you get to pick where you put this billboard you get one or two sentences health related and you want everyone to read it what would they be Uh, and why
0: so i um i used to have my byline on my um my signature say just believe in yourself believe in your health um but the other one i just like to remind people of is they see a stop sign every day right? Well, I don't know. we get lights or whatever, but stop. Stop is stop. Take a deep breath, remain open, proceed. So oh, maybe like when that. everybody even sees, like I've, maybe you've got, I've got that billboard right now. I got that sign that you're going to see when you get, pick up the kids or you come or you're do whatever. When you stop, then do it. Stop. Take a deep breath, remain open Then proceed.
2: Wow. I need that because I do rolling stops all the time. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but that's such a good way just to stop and say, Hey, we're so, we live these such busy hectic lifestyle Sometimes that we just can stop, take a moment for ourselves, breathe.
0: And again, it goes back to like, what do you do normally already? How do you incorporate it in? And then how can it become part of your daily practice? There's signs everywhere. Use them.
2: There are signs that- golly, look at you with all these uh, analogies (laughs) and euphemisms. Wow. So I love it. So if you could pick one gadget, health-related device, supplements, you get to choose. And you take this on a deserted island. What would you pick to take with you and why?
0: You know, I pondered this because that's, that's you could go all sorts of places with it. My meditation.
2: Ooh, okay.
0: I think relying on kind of getting a sense of something is much bigger than I am and being able to tap into that and get perspective and then being able to be in tune with wherever I am better than the American Express um, commercial though that's you know it's priceless
2: (laughs) it's priceless and then if you're meditating or be more Able to be resilient and find food, find shelter, do those sort of things. And that's the first person who's mentioned meditation on this podcast. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could, we could get into like which other, like a, you said, gadget, but I was like, you know what? It I think that's maybe, yeah.
2: What exactly. practice? I should start right? what, what practice would you bring with you? Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, Dr. Reardon, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today with all of us. Um, for anyone listening who, uh, wants to find you, wants to learn more about you and your practice, uh, where can they find you at? You already mentioned your website, but is there anywhere else they can find you at?
0: So I'd probably the best place is going to be the website, LakeTravisIntegrative.com. And awesome. um, the information is there and the contact information is there. I practice in, in Lakeway, Texas.
2: And you also see patients virtually.
0: I do, although I am licensed in Texas and in Washington state, but um, th- there's some, some things that we have to be careful of in those, those restrictions, which would be part of maybe the vision for the future of how do we be, how are we able to do even sort of virtual group visits or something that allows people to be empowered um, with all the restrictions with medical licensing. That's a great <laughs> idea.
2: Maybe, maybe we should, we could ponder that more at a later, yes. later date. Yeah. sounds good. Awesome. Well, Dr. Reardon, thank you so much for coming on again. Again, I love this episode and I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I
1: did and that uh, we will see you
2: soon. It's
1: Have a great so day. It's so nice
0: to sit down with you, Robert. Thank you. Yes. Thank Bye-bye.
1: You. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fredrickson Health Show. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, leave us a rating and review. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our email newsletter for more information.